0: Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week. We're going to be talking all about what is going to be the 2012 North American Truck of the Year. We're about to vote on that, but I've also got two jurors here joining me and I'm on the jury as well. Drew Winter from wardsauto.com and Lindsey Brooke from Automotive Engineering International. Great having the both of you here. Mm So, Drew, let me start with you. Uh, well, first, I guess I should announce that, you know, we, we've test-driven a variety of different truck kind of products. We'll have to argue about what's a truck. But the three finalists for the North American truck this year are the BMW X3, the Honda CRV, and the Land Rover Evoque. So what do you think of the three finalists? <laughs> Start off with anyone that, well, I'll start you off with the BMW X3.
1: Well, uh, it's, a, it's a strong product, but it's to me, it was still very evolutionary. And the CRV, v uh, it, man, it, it's, it's a segment leader. It has been a benchmark. Um, again, um, not real dramatic changes, um, but I still think it's, it's a strong product just because, uh, you know, it's a 99% car out there, um, and some of the, the other Two are uh, on the high end of the scale, you know. And, the and, 1% are cars. Yeah, Let's the 1% are kind of. cars. And, it, it, you know, it gives me pause that I don't want to be picking just just expensive vehicles. Mm-hmm. And I tell last year, you know, we had some really transformational vehicles coming uh, to pick from. I mean, a, a dramatically new Ford Explorer, incredibly good um, new products from Chrysler, and so a little tougher to pick this year because the cars were a little less dramatic in in, in most cases. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, when I look at the three now, certainly the one that stands out, uh, you know, just from the look standpoint, is certainly the Evoque. I mean, it just uh, that, that just knocks your eyes out. Yeah. Lindsay, how do you see these three finalists?
2: Well, it's interesting. You know, this is the first year that I can remember that we don't have a traditional trucky truck. Like a pickup. Uh, like, like a pickup. Either a full-frame, you know, truck-based SUV or a, an open-bed carrying vehicle like a pickup truck. So it's really forced the jury, as Drew knows very well, uh, to look at uh, this whole crossover thing what the definition of a crossover is. Uh, I don't think the public really knows. I think we do as automotive journalists. Uh, It's really redefining what we're calling a truck out there today. And the list this year has been really unibody vehicles, some outright car-based platforms, some unibody, but more like the Land Rover. I mean, they don't build cars, but this is a very, very, very dramatic change for them in a unibody, more car-based kind of a vehicle. Uh, my own natural gyroscope always tends towards more affordable, quote, vehicles. Um, so when I see the X3, uh, which goes up to, what, about 40 grand from low 30s to 40s, and then the Evoque as much more expensive than that, uh, you know, I'm kind of outside my comfort zone in terms of picking a top three. But uh, all these three were in my top four, believe it or not. So. Mm. So, uh, let's go through them. Uh,
0: aside from the, the price on them, BMW X3, what do you see as the, the positives of this vehicle?
2: I, I think positives, uh, previous gen vehicle, uh, very stiff ride. I think they've really uh, softened the ride or made a much better ride compliant vehicle uh, with this vehicle. Still very sporty. I mean, I think you could extrapolate that it's a three series sedan made into a utility type vehicle. Um, I thought the steering was pretty good. I think it's the first year for an electro-hydraulic, you know, electronic-type steering in the vehicle. Still felt good, had good BMW feel. 3-liter uh, twin-turbo, i6, 300 horsepower, what's not to like about that? Although I did find that in right-off idle driving situations, it took a little bit for that system to wake itself up. It was a little sluggish, and then it kind of comes on very strong. Uh, I think just ride quality was the big delineator for me in, in bringing that vehicle up to the top. Okay, and Land Rover Evoke. Land Rover Evoke: wow, you know, you know, you talk to your former guests about styling and, and passenger cars, but that really does it to me. And, and I do argue that styling is part of the normal buying experience. Uh, 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 um, you know, it, the car looks like a concept vehicle on the road and it's really directly derived from the LRF, which was their concept vehicle for 2007, 2008, something like that, transforming that show car to the street i mean everywhere i parked that thing people would walk up it was it was just honey to the bees <laughs> and how about uh, the honda crv I, I agree with drew uh evolutionary vehicle it's got some features that are that are moving it forward uh i think honda like bmw recognize that the overall package the overall vehicle size uh really can't be messed with that much to keep it in the compact CUV uh, uh, space, so to speak. Uh, you don't mess with that uh, vehicle. Really didn't grow in size. Uh, it's got some surprise and delight features. It's got a rear seat that's um, you know kind of one pull spring loaded seat goes down. That was a that was a good feature for me. It's got some other things maybe we could talk about in terms of being semi-un-Honda-like, uh, a, a noisy, somewhat vibratory engine that's, that's just out of character for that, for that brand. And only a five-speed automatic transmission in a day where
0: companies like Chrysler are on the verge of coming out with nine-speed automatics. So yeah. it, Honda seems to be behind the curve here technologically.
2: Yeah, I think six-speed automatics are kind of the industry standard these days. Uh, the BMW's got an eight-speed. It's got a great feature where it'll go from eighth ratio down to second and kind of just skips the five-inch. In between depending on the duty cycle. Uh, close ratios, uh, you know, very creamy transmission in that BMW eight-speed. Very surprising, John, that, that Honda didn't offer, uh, that carried over a five-speed and didn't bring their six-speed into the new CRV. Well, you got to remember, you know, Honda's under a lot of cost pressure with the with the value of the yen
1: and and everything else they're going through. So they're they're trying to deliver value, and I think the, you know, the average CRV buyer isn't going to know the difference between a five-speed and a six-speed, and and if you know they can deliver a, a a price that's closer to you know someone's budget, that's going to count a lot more than they're not going to notice the
0: difference between a five or a six-speed but they are going to pay a lot of attention to fuel economy. And because it's not out yet, the Ford Escape that goes head to head against the CRV is taking a five mile per gallon jump when they come out with the new one, and it's going to be ahead of the CRV. And I think one of the reasons it's going to be ahead is the CRV only has a five-speed automatic. Because as you know, if you get more gears in there, you can turn the engine slower, make it work more efficiently, and get better fuel economy.
1: Sure. I don't know how much cross-shopping is still going to be between an Escape though and a CRV buyer. You know, what I mean, and and. and you know, you, you could argue all you want, but Honda's done a very good job in that segment with that vehicle. And uh, even though they are under pressure, I think they're still going to be pretty do pretty well. And, I mean, our colleagues have argued bitterly about uh, what happened with the Jetta, for instance, and thought it was just so disastrous Uh, that uh, VW had the nerve to take out costs out of the Jetta, and sales are up 60%. It's not just a little bit successful. It is tremendously successful, and they clearly ignored everything that we said was wrong with the Jetta. We, the media, who know everything
2: that they should be doing. (laughs) The other issue with Honda, too, is their their fleet fuel efficiency picture is really pretty good compared to, say, Ford's. They don't build big vehicles. As we all know, car companies often only do what they have to do, uh, to meet a, any regulatory bogey that's out there, uh, I'm sure the Honda looked at the six speed transaxles in there, you know, on the shelf and said, we really don't need it. I mean, the all wheel drive version of the new CRV, I think, is, is 2230, 22 city, 30 highway. I, I, I think you're right that a, a six speed could have maybe brought it into maybe 32 MPG, something like that. Honda doesn't need that now. When they need it, they'll deploy it. Yeah, well, I would argue that they do need it
0: because while they don't need it to meet... Fleet-wise. ...fuel economy regulations, I think they need it in the marketplace. Their sales are down, their market share is down. I understand they've had impacts because of the tsunami that hit Japan and the flooding that hit Thailand. I still think they're losing, not just because of those reasons. I don't think they're as competitive as as they have been for so long. They, They were such a technological leader. They're no longer that. And while they may not need to be a technological leader to meet the law, uh, I think they do need it to attract customers. But
1: I just think in this marketplace, with young families counting every penny, 500 bucks is going to make a difference to them in that price tag more than ever this year. So if they're going to sell some vehicles, they really have to come in with, with a, um, uh, an affordable price. So I think that was— top of mind for them, and it should be. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that vehicle also adds, I think it adds a backup camera, uh, am I right, uh, which yeah, it didn't have before. It's got, it's got some other connectivity, uh, infotainment delights. Uh, it's got a drop-down uh, rear DVD, which it didn't have before. So to those small families, they're important, they're important features. That's right. A, a drop-down
0: DVD, if you've got small kids, is probably more important than the engine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got
2: to have it. You're absolutely right, yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, let's go back to what, uh, an issue that uh, Lindsey raised earlier. Drew, because your magazine publishes all kinds of data about uh, the industry in addition to articles about it. But this concept of segmentation, how do you segment what's a car, what's a truck, what's a crossover, what's a sport utility vehicle? We have had huge arguments as a jury this year because, yeah, if you look at a a Honda CRV, a Range Rover, a Vogue, or a a BMW X3, uh, are they really trucks? I mean, I'm sure the people who buy them don't say, hey, come on out in the driveway and look at the truck I just put. No, they say, come out and look at my car.
1: Well, you know, it's an enormously complex uh set of uh, calculations and everything else and and I know our people our statisticians struggle in how to segment different vehicles and and uh, into all these uh different sub segments of middle cross utility vehicles and 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 whatnot but you know there are some basic factors of, of you know if something's built on a frame or not on a frame and, and height and and you know we went through uh you can see the industry placed lots of games, automakers and the government in terms of what vehicles do they want to be a truck and what don't they do. Because, and explain
0: why they want that.
1: Well, because the, 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 the smaller vehicles, something small is going to help your truck fuel, fleet fuel economy. And so there are some, something like a PT cruiser, crisis form of PT cruiser. Maybe you want to make it was that. Was classified as a truck. You want to make that a truck because then it helps the, the, the fleet fuel economy of your trucks. But as you say, that's just gaming the system. Yes. There is. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things. And and the 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 calculations, the government calculations are enormously complex on how this all goes about. Um, And and, you you know, your head just wants to explode when you look at some of these some of the ways things are figured. But. Again, people were talking about, well, you know, as, as nakota judges, we know better than these government bureaucrats as to what's a car and what's a truck. Well, sure, but the car people who design and make vehicles they know better too. But they have to follow these same rules that get concocted, and they influence some of them, uh, and some of them they they don't. But um, I, I wish I had a, a I wish I had a good answer for some of these, a, a, a better answer for why some things are trucks and once I'm why they aren't, but I'm scratching my head half the time as well. If
2: in the future full-frame vehicles go away, it'll be way outside of our lifetimes, Uh, then the definition of truck is still going to be more utility in some way than a car, mm-hmm. what, what, that delta is going to be, you know, for others to determine, not for us. But uh, you know, a truck is going to be able to. I think one of the NHTSA currently one of the NHTSA criteria is uh, seats fold completely flat to give a uh, you know a, a full load uh, area in the back of the vehicle, or
0: remove the seats,
2: or remove the seats with common tools. That's one of the criteria. Right, and uh,
0: in the case of side doors, they have to open up you know, at a full 90 degree angle or or close to that. And that's one thing that Chrysler did with the PT Cruiser is you could pull out the back seat and uh, the rear doors would open and it got classified as a truck. And uh, which was also on our, our list is the Mini Countrymen. Now, I don't think anybody out there in the general public would see a countryman go by and say, now that is one swell truck. I just don't see it happening.
1: No, but what else do you call it? You know, I mean, it's it's a, you, you call it a cute ute or all these other things. And, and, trucklet. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> ultimately, you know what, these, these are the rules we've been handed and, and, and this is what we call them, you know, mm. and, and it's, it's, sometimes it gets complicated and even ridiculous, but, um, what are you going to do? You know, and basically... We're going to argue some more. That's yeah. what we're going to do. I'll, I'll
0: tell you, that's absolutely going to happen. But speaking of uh, the countrymen, why might it not have made the finalist list?
1: I, you know, I, I like the vehicle. I'm, an, I'm a mini-owner, and, and, and I like how they... Uh, at first, I was determined to hate it, really, because uh, you have purists that came out that hated... Uh, Porsche purists that hated the idea of a Porsche coming out with a uh, w- with an SUV or a CUV. Mm. And they were just, uh, I remember a few prominent people saying, oh, no one's going to buy a 911 now because they make an SUV. Now, come on. That's ridiculous. And guess what? Guess what's bringing in all the money for... for uh for portion now. Same same deal with Mini. If they if they're going to survive, they have to grow. And in fact, their sales would have gone down this year if it had not been for the bringing countrymen. out the Country. That's right. So, it's a vehicle, you know, they argue quite rightly, the, the regular Minis are too small for families. A lot of people like the Mini brand, they like the idea. So, you make something that that has some room, it's good for families and uh it's 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 it, you know, has all-wheel drive, or you can get it with all-wheel drive. has all those little features that you'd want from maybe a Honda CRV, but it's got some personality. So it's—I it's, think it's a perfectly fine vehicle, but, you know, a lot of people who aren't minivans are going to find it just plain odd is mm-hmm. <laughs> a downside.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I agree. Many needed to do that vehicle. They needed to spin off more variants off of that platform. There's no question. One thing that the SUV boom of the 90s did was get many people, me included, liking a high H point and so it means the, sitting up higher yeah, in the Yeah, room. yeah. So now vehicles, even as small as the Countryman, that the suspension's raised a little bit and the seat has vertical travel where you can jack it up, and you really start to feel like, wow, well, I'm looking up over the IP. Now I can see out over the hood, up over the hood. And I'm not so low next to that Peterbilt that's next to me. You know, I feel a little bit more brawny and bigger. And, and maybe that's kind of one of the definitions of why that vehicle is more of a truck than a car. It's car-based, but it's a truck for the mini brand, no question. I, I, I agree with Drew, though. I mean, this was very controversial on the jury. And I think everybody looked at the, at the portfolio of trucks and said, you know, what are we doing here? So the debate continues. The, the
0: debate goes on. Another vehicle that didn't make the finalist list, Nissan Quest minivan.
1: You know, I'm kind of sorry it didn't at least become a finalist because Nissan's the only company that really makes an effort to make a minivan that's different. And, and this one, um, they gave it a good shot. And there's a lot of good features. It, it should have done a little better than it did.
0: Let's go to the the Mercedes M-Class, too. Direct competitor to the BMW X3. The X3 made it to the finalists list. The Mercedes M-Class did not. Why not?
1: I don't know. I mean, uh, I think as it has evolved, the M-Class has gotten very large and very expensive. You know, it started out as a very innovative car in uh, the, the late 90s, the first real luxury SUV Uh, from a a European automaker. They were looking at how much money Cadillac was making on Escalades and Lincoln was making on Navigators. They came out with a very credible luxury SUV. Target priced it at $35,000, built it in America. They had some problems, but it was a risky, I, I think, bold, Bold move on Mercedes' part. Now what they've done, like automakers always do, is they just take it and they make it bigger and add more features, <laughs> and it gets more bloated and heavier. And, and the newest M-Class, is, it's very nice. I mean, I, I, uh, and I drove one with a diesel engine that had you know, tons of torque and, and was very pleasant to drive. But our tester was $68,000. Mm. And I think the, the price tag, I think the size, the weight... And just the overall sort of excessiveness of, of where the M class has kind of gone has kind of took it out, the, took it out of the running.
2: Yeah. Agreed, and, and more evolutionary to me than the Evoque, uh, you know, which was really a, leap, a big leap ahead. Uh, the M-Class is kind of what I expected the M-Class in this generation to evolve to. Uh, and, and again, with Drew, you know, the loaded ones are really, you know, pushing $70,000 at this point. Um, so, you know, if you're going to vote and you're looking at, say, Evoque, and really M-Class is more of an X5 competitor than an X3 competitor, even though, as we mentioned before, x X3 has been moved up a little closer to X5. Uh, it's really more of you know the competing against the bigger BMW.
0: I love the and, M class. I thought it was terrific. But you know when I try to figure out well why did the X3 make the finalist list and not the M? The M is just a very nice replacement for what was out there. I agree. The three, the X3 BMW, I thought really took that whole package up a notch. So while there's nothing wrong with the Mercedes, it's a very nice vehicle, I thought... BMW made more change. Really stepped it up uh, with the X3.
2: Well, it's an go ahead, Drew.
1: Well, again, what you, and we're talking about Truck of the Year here. So what? I mean, we want something that really, to me, again, represents something significant that went on in the marketplace, was going on something that is influential. And fine, this one is. It's expensive. It's low volume. it. it but but I think the the design is so dramatic. That it just, uh, I think when people saw it, it it takes your breath away and you can't believe that it's a production vehicle. That is suddenly telling people that in this segment here now, this notoriously boring segment of of cross-utility vehicles and family movers, that, hey, you know what? Design can play a role. And they got serious. Somebody made, somebody put their job on their line or a number of people put their jobs on the line when they looked at that car and said, okay, we're going to stick with this concept car design. I don't care. You know, and if it doesn't fly, I'll probably get fired, but I'm going to do it. And I, I like that. I think we should reward that kind of thinking.
2: Well, I, I think you got to credit Jerry McGovern. This, to me, is the best design he's hit in his career. You know, former Ford designer. Did some interesting concepts. I mean, this is really putting his production stamp on a vehicle uh, that... Also, the pro- product planners were bold in saying the first compact utility to have both a three-door body style and a five-door yeah. body style. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of breaks the segment in that regard, too. I found the Coupe to be, you know, a, a real magnet in terms of attracting people, much less practical than the yeah. five-door. You know, with kids, you know, again, it's pushed the front seats forward, try to squeeze people in the back. Ingress, egress is really compromised. But, wow, what a styling statement. I mean, really like driving a concept car down the street. That, and, and, you know, automakers talk so much about making vehicles that
1: people want to drive rather than what they need to drive. You want to drive that car. You want to buy it. And That's a, car, a great point. That, that, that explains it in a nutshell right there. People do
0: want to be inside that car. Yeah. They really do, just because of the way it looks. They want to be seen
2: in that. Another thing, too, is Land Rover has this go-anywhere, safari background, you know, the British Jeep, uh, really, heritage. And this is the first vehicle. You know, Range Rovers have always been able to be as as capable on-road as off-road. That's clear. Uh, This is really more biased, I felt, to pavement, although I did take it off-road a couple times. It's got a speed-adjustable hill descent control, which I thought was really a cool factor. The only thing is is the area that I was driving in off road the vehicle I drove had was this electric metallic green Kermit yeah. the frog kind of green that you know people could see me for miles away and I think I was trespassing yeah. at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but but nonetheless but you, you know were looking
1: good <laughs> looking
2: good and still a pretty capable vehicle yeah. off road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always
0: felt that Land Rover compromised too much for the off road capability. And so uh, while it was fine on the road, it wasn't that great, and there is so much body yeah. lean in the turns because yeah. they give it so much suspension travel yeah. so you can go rock hopping and climbing and yeah. whatnot, and the evoke a little less so but I still think there's an awful lot of body lean yeah, in the car. Yeah. And I wonder how many people really, truly take their Land Rover seriously off-road. I'll bet it just no. doesn't happen. Not the ones that are bought in the United States. Those are luxury vehicles. You know, the, at the most, as we've all joked about, they might have to go over one of those cement blocks in a parking lot, you know, you know just to, to bring you to a rest, and they'll go over that, and that's about it.
1: Right. My main concern with the evoke is, is, is getting out of it finally, Thing. Is this too much sizzle and no steak? you know I mean uh we do have a two liter four cylinder turbo in there Ford uh, engine too yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it's a pretty stiff tariff for uh for what we're looking at if you take mm-hmm. away the design element, but you know what. Uh, kudos to them I mean it's still it's just it, it, it just stands out of all of all certainly the, the truck and even really the cars we're looking at this year it just it, it just stands out because it's, it's a, a new fresh new design that really uh, really draws your eye and, 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 and says something about the vehicle
2: well you know that two liter turbo everybody is trying to really experiment with the, the breadth of the bandwidth in terms of Engine displacement versus vehicle size. I think this vehicle teaches the industry a couple lessons is you can do it. It's not, it it doesn't have the X3 kind of rocket feel, but it does a pretty good job. The other thing is the planners took 200 pounds out of this vehicle compared to the old Freelander, which was a smaller vehicle. And the industry is trying to look at lightweight material solutions. I think there's some lessons here for other automakers in competitively tearing down this vehicle to see how they created this package, which... By the way, if you compare it to, say, an early 2000s Explorer, it's a bigger vehicle. You know, and it's 200 pounds less than the old Freelander, which looks smaller. So we'll have to see. I agree with you.
0: We are going to see a change with this uh Small four turbo in the Evoke or even in the Ford F-150 pickup, the the EcoBoost V6 outselling the V8. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable in a, in a sense. Or I don't know if it's outselling it, but it's selling way more than they ever thought that it would be. So I agree, we're going to see a big change in trucks in this decade. Yeah. But but now comes the the fun part where I want to put you guys on the step uh, on the on the spot. And Drew, I'm going to start with you. The three finalists are the BMW X3 the Honda CRV and the Land Rover Evoque, which one do you think the jury is going to choose as Car of the Tree? Eric, not what one you would choose. Yeah. What do you think the
2: jury's going to choose? I still think it's going to be the Evoque. Okay, Lindsey, what do you think? I agree. I agree. I think this is going to be a bold move by the jury, but I think it's undeniable. Well, you guys might be persuading me. I was going to say the BMW X3, but now that I hear
0: you guys, I guess I'll to peer pressure and say it'll be the Evoque as well,
2: well. you know, Drew had mentioned earlier, I mean, there is kind of an industry element to this North American car and truck of the year. You can look at East Liberty built CRV and Spartanburg yeah. built X3 as being, quote, American or more American vehicles, at least the manufacturing base is mm-hmm. here. And here we've got this Brit vehicle. You know, who knows? There might be some of that in the voting, but uh, I, I just think the styling is just too knockout. Yeah.
0: Oh, one quick one, very... The Saab 94X was on the list. Yeah, getting any points
2: from you guys? No. Uh, yeah, no. It, I, it, it didn't for me, but I'll tell you, I wish Saab had done something like this five years ago, ten years ago. You know, there, there's some there's some things to like about that vehicle. Uh, it's just it's too late. Yeah. It's too late. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yeah. You bet. Yeah.
0: Hey, uh, Drew Winter from wardsauto.com, thanks so much for coming on AutoLine. Lindsey Brook with Automotive Engineering International. Great having the both of you here. We're going to be arguing about this for some time to come, but enough arguing for this show. Thanks, folks, for having tuned in.